Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi guys, this is Alice. This episode is brought to you by She is in Russia podcast, where they interview Kristaps on the past and present of Latvia and its people. Thank you for your patience and waiting for the Dmitri Potapenko episode. It's coming out next week. And now, let the ladies from She is in Russia podcast take the stage. I'm Kristab Sandraisons, a journalist and a host of the Eastern Border Podcast. And it's a show where I try to explain in English how it was like to live in the Soviet Union by collecting both historical sources and people's stories. And people's stories are sometimes very funny and sometimes they're quite depressing. But, you know, I'm a podcaster about the Soviet Union from Riga, Latvia. Awesome. So here you go, comrade. <laughs> Thank you, comrade. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I cool, think yeah. I think the goal of this episode is just to kind of, well, one, explain through specific events, like the history of Latvia and just kind of give people a sense, because I think that uh, a lot of people just like don't know much about Latvia. Um, and then also to talk about like your personal experience of being Latvian and specifically how it relates to Russia and the Soviet Union. And then I... Oh, it's it's cold and also sometimes dark. <laughs> and, and then you wear warm stuff in winter. Yeah. And then also, I don't know, like this last section that's on this document, I don't know if this is like a real thing that like Latvians think and talk about. But when I was reading the Latvian Wikipedia and then looking at that <laughs> video you made of that Russian or of the Latvian, the Soviet car show, like... It just seems like there's like a lot of trees and greenery and I think it's like 50% of the country is like covered in forest. 50, 59% of Latvia is forest. Yeah, forests, so that's yes. like kind of amazing. I feel like that is something important. So I wanted to talk about that also. We, we, we had a wild boar issue here, like in the center of Riga at one point. Uh, now they've kind of died out, but at one point uh, they could like... There were so many of them that, you know, our government hire, had to hire some hunters to shoot off more wild boars than usual because really they just came down to the city center from the surrounding <laughs> forests even in, in the summer nights. So it was like we had warning signs saying that if you're taking the last bus to, to kind of, you know, those those nice uh, the suburbs, then you should better kind of be careful and watch out of things. Wait, did, did yeah. people in the city hunt them? Like, can you? You can eat boar, right? Yeah, we do. My my wife's dad is is uh, is a hunter, so that's no right. Right now they died off because we had after that the the overpopulation caused an influx of their what African boar plague something oh something Af African swine plague, and so a lot of them they just died out from that. It kind of struck our our kind of pork industry as well a bit, especially in the countryside. Whoa! Wow. Really? Wow! It it was a sad, it was a sad and miserable study, but hey, you know, that's, that's what I did. <laughs> Wait, when was this? Recently? 
Yeah, it was like 2016. Oh, wow. <laughs> Wait, so like you you would regularly see just wild boar wandering around Riga? Yeah, you know, because uh, we have we have a, a kind of a racing track next to where I live, because I live uh, in kind of outskirts of Riga, and, and I live right next to a hospital, and, you know, I, I saw, when I was driving home with my trolley bus, there was an ambulance car who had just smashed into a wild oh. boar. And the wild boar was dead, but the car was pretty much, well, useless too, because unlike, unlike Disney would like to tell you, wild boars are really huge and dangerous animals. <laughs> Actually, yeah, do they attack people? Is that why they're like warnings? Yes, yes, they do. Oh. If you go to a close, not usually, but you know, if you see a wild boar mom with her little kind of piglets running around, <laughs> that you don't want to go close at okay. all. Okay, yeah. Wow. <laughs> that sounds. I mean, it sounds bad, but I also. It sounds like a little fun or something. I really, I like seeing. You just wish like you that. could see a wild boar, but you don't know what it's like to have an infestation. <laughs> wow. Okay. So I, I picked the the two like events kind of based on just like I want to get a sense of the beginning of the 20th century and the end of the 20th century. But if you want to talk about anything that happened between those two points, obviously. No, no, free. comrades, your show, your show. Just just okay. ask me whatever you want right, to right. want me to talk about. It's going to be right. great. So. Um, yeah, I guess first I just wanted you to kind of talk about what the National Awakening was. Oh, well, the first one, um, well, we have to go back then to the part when we were in Russian Empire and we were the province of Livonia, and it kind of goes back to the 19th century again, but, like, even the thoughts about our own country independence really, really gathered, gathered some, um, some fuel when, during the First World War, when the Latvian riflemen battalions were formed, which were like, uh, Latvian led Latvian kind of fighting units who fought for the Russian Empire uh, because because uh, here our our situation was was dualistic. We were under the Russian Empire, but this region always had a, kind of a lot of autonomy. So we were ruled by essentially German nobles for a huge time. You know, central authorities are all Russian imperial ones, but all the local nobles are German. That was going on. Uh, mm -hmm. But then, pre twentieth century. That's early twentieth century, right. yeah. And, and and then you know the the nice little thing known as the October Revolution happened. Well, at first it was February Revolution, and then there was October Revolution. Then some civil war happened. Then civil war was just uh, all sorts of craziness with with like three different Latvias running about because there was there was the one which was. Made by Peter Stuchka in Moscow, who uh, which was the, the Soviet one. Then there was our own kind of nationalistic one. Then there was the pro-German one created by the supporters of Bermontovalov. It was just crazy. But yeah, we we uh, it was a huge mess for which I would have to go into like large detail. But at the end of the day, it all just went down. Uh, and it all ended in 1922 when kind of we signed our peace treaty with the Soviet Union and border deals and everything and wrote our own constitution. But the first first awakening really happened as as World War One kind of ended up because uh, a lot of these people who went into politics in, in those years, they were all veterans, veterans of, of the Great War, and then veterans of the Soviets, of the Great Civil War, which got us involved too, and the, the Estonians and Lithuanians and Poles, and then Lithuanians and Poles were fighting each other. It was all completely crazy back in, back in the early 20s. But yeah, it was, it was a strange period where... We you at that point we used uh, kind of these late nineteenth century uh, ideas of what a nation state is and what what does it even mean to be a Latvian because I feel like people back then they wanted to find some some purpose and some idea around which to concentrate and uh, it was a very kind of optimistic period so to speak uh, at a, at a point because you know after after your whole after your whole generation of of people have been just off to war. And they've been fighting all over for various sides, um, and often like shooting each other, and often had shot each other a lot. Then 
it all it all kind of came down to came down to basically just just sticking to these ro roman very romanticized national ideas and, and and trying to build something around that so our first constitution kind of represented that it was based on Weimar Republic one and we for for example didn't have uh, didn't have any percentage barriers in our first constitution so you know if but, sorry, what does that mean? What's a percentage barrier? Oh, you, you, that's that's when you have to, like, if you're a party that wants to get into the parliament, in these days you have to get mm. at least 5% of the vote in Latvia okay. to get yeah. representation in parliament. Back then there was no such percentage barrier, so, you know, we had, like, 28 parties in, in our parliament, each which like of which most had, like, one or two elected officials. So it was a huge, it was a huge, uh, huge enthusiastic mess with a lot of people just, you know, drowning, drowning their issues in whatever substances they could get their hands off and, you know, playing up this late 19th century romantic Latvian folklore and literature and everything and, you know, building up their country based on that because they felt like they needed to get something out, just, you know, some sort of outflux that, you know... All my friends died for something, so let's build this up as nice and cool and romantic as we can. That's 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 a weird, that's a position that I I think, at least spoken about. But the first period was kind of first period was kind of um, yeah interesting about with the fact that we just like uh, every other country around us, like we had Karl Sulman this uh, in Latvia and and a lot of these kind of early democratic leaders in, in the 30s. In the 20s, everyone was very democratic and, and very chaotic, but later on, Karl Sulmans, which is like our George Washington, at one point he decided that, you know, our parliament's a bit bit too much of a mess, and then he had a coup, and he was our kind of authoritarian leader for a while. Yeah, up until World War II. Mm. And so during this, like, span of time, we're... Was it really like everybody in Latvia was involved in politics and in this like idea of the national awakening and like forming an, a nation and had a lot of patriotism or was it a specific class of people that were involved? See, this this is kind of the um, the weirdest part because at least at least our bigger cities and uh, a lot of my Latvian listeners probably will yell at me, but for, Riga has never been a kind of purely Latvian city because uh, up to 1939, for example, about 20 to 30 percent of uh, people living in Riga were Germans, then of course a lot of Russians, uh, a ton of Jews, everyone, we, we've always been like, at least Riga has always been a very multi multicultural city, so I don't know, this this patriotism, uh, kind of, there were, there were certainly a lot of, a lot of people in the government playing up this Latvian-ness, but that, that mostly happened later on uh, in, in the late 30s, in the 20s everyone was just kind of amazed that we have this brand new country and, you know, let's let's see what we can do with it. So I, mm. I think I think it was more like this. Um, well, first of all, we had this. We we had the agricultural reform, you know, so similar as in Russia, because when the old kind of when the old farms, large large estates owned by the nobility, were kind of split up and and uh, spread around people. So it was kind of weird. I don't know patriotism, sure, but it was a different patriotism than what you could see for example in in the in like 1990s a different kind of one I, i'd mm -hmm. say this was more more or less a romanticized version for example we had this um, we had this guy Ernest Brastinch who in 1922 decided you know try to restore the old pagan religion the problem is we don't know much about the old pagan religion, so he just smashed up things on paper, what he thought were right was right, <laughs> without much historical basis. Uh, but the problem is, yeah, uh, then you know a lot of people now think it was the actual real thing, while we don't know don't know much about it. But then again, I don't know. And, and, and at that period in Latvia, we were all kind of weirdo, weirdo anarchist types, because being a revolutionary was a proud tradition in these lands like uh if you know about the coral castle in florida with with, with edward yeah well edward slieskalnich moved to the united states because he kind of due, in the 1905 revolution he shot a baron and 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 uh, blew up a distillery and carried around the rifle and was a revolutionary revolutionary in general so you know if you look into the past of all these all these guys in early 20s 
and you can see all sorts of crazy people because if you were something in Latvian politics, you obviously had participated in, in the, all the wars and also in 1905 revolution. So that's kind of weird. It's just like kind of a, a hodgepodge of people. Well, like. Yeah, because and there's like the timeline of the national awakenings. Um, there's like three distinct ones, right? Correct. In Latvia? Yeah, mm -hmm. one's, one is in the 19th century. Uh, then there's like in the 20s when we got our own country. And then, then there was in 1990s after when, when the Soviet Union collapsed. Yeah. Right. So, you and you mentioned that like that was like a different, the last one, the 1990s was a different kind of. Um, yeah, that, that was that was. A different Can you thing. explain why or like what particularly is different? That was different because um, over here in Latvia, uh, in the Soviet era, a lot of people just remembered kind of mostly Stalinist era stuff and, and things like that. Because we have like um, we have our, we had our own like for example, song and dance festivals and national holidays and stuff like that, and um, and a lot of kind of our national culture was. Was kind of toned down and suppressed during during uh, the Soviet era because of I don't know because of some central policy of of kind of you know this internationalism or or whatever. For example, uh, Latvian Latvians in here in, had to study uh, a year longer in the schools than the Russians. Latvian schools had an extra year in curriculum because they also had to learn all this all, all the Russian language stuff and everything. So, kind of, uh, Russian youths had a kind of better chance of going to work market back then or something. So, um, and, and then nobody wanted to go to the army and a lot of, lot of huge issues were, were there, of course, with the Afghanistan war because people weren't happy. Just, you know, you, you live in, in, in Riga and then you get conscripted and then you have to go and fight in Afghanistan and nobody wants to be there. And then, you know, people, and people went there and died and, and there was kind of this uh, the disillusionment, so to speak, this idea that a lot of the things that we wanted to do or or sing or or kind of like speak about they they were kind of prohibited even. We're we're Latvians, so oh, God, God. No, no, I, I just I just want to say that, uh, for example, you know, we we re at least in my family, my ancestors remember the first Latvian independence kind of quite fondly. And um, so, but it, it was uh, that Independence Day that we have here now, which we celebrate also now, is in the 18th of November. <laughs> but the thing is, you couldn't celebrate that in Soviet theater, obviously. But uh, as they lived in a small town, um, my, my, gran my grandmother's younger brother... Uh, had a names day on the 18th of November. His name was Alexander. So you know that 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 names day turned into kind of the biggest celebration of that small town. <laughs> and, and they always and they, but they always had to like put extra plates on the table and you know prepare extra salad and extra foods because they knew that every year every year someone from the authorities would come over and ask, hey, what are you celebrating here? Are you celebrating this bourgeoisie things? And everyone would be like, no, 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 check check out his passport. It's cool. We're celebrating his <laughs> name day. Please, please, we have Rossos here. And, and Shub, um, like, come. so they would come, come down and eat and just leave and, you know, write in their paper, we check, they're just celebrating this. Because the party people, the authorities who are, like, sent there, well, you know, they're the locals too. They have to do it because of formality so that they can write the papers after at least that that happened after a while during Stalinist era was different during Stalinist era you you know you had to be even more careful but yeah that, that kind of happened and again some sort of romanticization uh, happened in a way but it was it was mostly about the fact that we were again losing kind of this uh, national identity so to speak because one of, the, one of the things that really started everything was when Gorbachev allowed to create these um, kind of ecological clubs, you know, uh, the kind of green societies, because in here in Baltics, uh, the Bay of Botnia, it was, it was heavily polluted back then, I don't know its current situation. So when that happened, then people understood that hey, well, we could we could do our own independence ideas, and we could hide them in these little movements. Mm. So we started doing that, and um, and yeah, all all through this 
all through the set, and that is an issue which is a serious issue, which my government in Latvia has done a lot of terrible things themselves. See, the thing is, uh, in Soviet era, a ton of Soviet citizens from Russia, from Ukraine, from Belarus, from everywhere, they were kind of, you know, moved here. The uh, population was artificially inflated, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the a lot of people they were just moved here en masse. So one of the biggest protest actions, which kind of characterizes all the feel, was they wanted to create a metro in Riga, but people kind of went out and protested against it because at that time in Latvia it was truly like fifty percent Latvians and fifty percent everyone else. But the government openly stated that yeah, we're going to build this metro and then we're going to bring in more. Uh, more kind of workers from, you know, from Siberia, whatever, from other parts of the country. And at that point, Latvians understood that if we don't go out and don't don't become active, we will become a a minority in our own country, which we kind of, you know, we we feel this connection with here because that's where we've lived since since the Germans first came here and, and, you know, did this whole crusading thing on us, which was a fun study all, all on its own. So that that also served as one of these one of these um, one of these big moments. So so that's kind of weird, but um, but yeah, that that has that whole influx of of uh, people from other parts of the Soviet Union and Latvia that still causes a lot of tensions up until today. Yeah. Okay. I have a yeah I have a question um, based on what you just said about like sort of tensions that that exist from that artificial population moving time during the Soviet era and then up until today in terms of like non-Latvian um, populations. Um, I'm ethnically Latvian, I guess. I'm, I was wondering, or we were wondering specifically about attitudes towards um, ethnic Russians in particular, but actually maybe we could just speak more generally. Could you just describe like the current situation with that? Okay. Not just with Russians, but okay. non-Latvians. See, the problem... It's not just non-Latvians. Uh, see, uh, in Latvia, a lot of these people use the term uh, basically Russian-speaking population. That's how we kind of uh, yeah. orient them around because that also involves a lot of Ukrainians, Belarusians, all, all these guys. See, and that's where my government, I think, made a mistake because uh, in the 90s, the, there was this... Um, in the 90s, we, we had a referendum here about leaving the Soviet Union and about our independence. And if you think about it, that at that point, Latvians were only like 50% of the whole country, but 85% of uh, people who voted, voted for leaving the Soviet Union. So obviously, a lot of a lot of, of these Russian-speaking population wanted outside of the Soviet Union. But my government then decided to do it Basically, unlike in Lithuania, where they gave citizenship to everyone living there at the moment, my government decided to give citizenship only to those people who were citizens of uh, like previous Latvia in the twenty in the from the nineteen from the nineteen eighteen to nineteen forty and their kind of uh, and their kind of relatives, you know, to those oh, okay. the, uh, uh, the the Yura principle, which led to our weird situation that we have a lot of these, uh, I don't know, uh, non-citizens, aliens, as they, they, they've been put. So in the early 90s, that's what our government did. And uh, and then the, the rules of becoming a citizen were that you had to learn Latvian language, you had to learn Latvian, mm-hmm. Latvian uh, history and stuff. But at the same time, they didn't really provide any any kind of free means to do so at that ep- at that era period. So now now what we wow. have here is that you know you can't really and and also uh there were a lot of kind of uh, these Russian speaking people who thought that you know this this whole Soviet Union thing yeah it'll be back in two two weeks why should I bother because. You could just, and even now, if you just speak Russian, you can pretty much get around town here in Latvia because a lot of people speak Russian. Uh, Wait, so, so, but, and so, what's the current breakdown? Like, there's a fair percentage of the population, right, that's not citizens? Uh, not as much, actually. They've been falling down steadily because okay. uh, also, <laughs> if you if you if you're this if you're this non-citizen. Then you can still you, you can just go to Russia without a visa. You have you have your own huge amount of benefits. We have a lot of Russian citizens living in Latvia now as well, because there are companies now in Latvia, and I mentioned this Dmitry Potapenko, 
who because in Russia you can have a, you can get a pension 10 years earlier than in Latvia so you can get a Russian citizenship and get your pension from Russia for all of your like Soviet era work like earlier so a lot mm. of, so there are people who do that uh, even though our pension's larger that's 10 years earlier so people just mix it up and do crazy jurisdictional loopholes but the situation now is that i don't know um, at least in the younger generation everyone who's like under 30 well we're all pretty friendly and stuff but uh, there are especially older populations and i'm and i'm talking about both ethnic latvians and and uh, kind of these russian speaking people they live in some sort of the, their own their own press bubbles so to speak uh, the conflict basically cuz often artificially created before the elections so that you know uh, we have we have our our nationalistic party and then we have our like i don't know how to even put that we have this harmony center which positions themselves as pro minority party but yeah then an investigative journalist found out that they actually have a nice deal between themselves <laughs> Because, oh you know, one of them would do something, you know, like our, our new thing about Russian schools stuff, and then, they're, then they do their own actions, because due to the strange history of the Baltic region, we have, uh, we have Memorial Day for the Latvian Legion folks on 16th of March, which has lately gone without any provocations, but it always causes a furor, and then there, and then, then in the 9th of May, uh, the kind of the other miss happens in our victory monument because you know it's it, it's turned into a major festival and a lot of people get drunk there so so there are some tensions there but they're they're becoming lower and lower each each month basically because you know we're we're getting getting along quite well and and sometimes you know due to my podcast i have some i have some visitors and stuff and i have relatives living in russia and and it, it feels kind of weird to explain to those people who come here from Russia, whom I take around town, is that that oh oh well we, you're you're not all fascists you're you're not gonna punch us for speaking Russian and I'm like no no we're not we're totally okay it's fine <laughs> so was there That's was crazy. an era at one point where where people like saw speaking Russian as some sort of political statement. Yeah, and you know there are, there are a lot of people who do that now. But it's again, uh, there are people who live in their own press kind of media bubbles. You know, if right. you read if you read only uh, only the ultra nationalist Latvian press that makes that makes it look like like you know all Russians want to do is restore Soviet Union and exile all to Siberia, and then then there's <laughs> then there's kind of uh, press from the other side. Which is like, oh, you know, these ra like every NATO forces are all evil, and you know, all Latvians are fascist scum. Yeah, that too. And there are people who live in these media bubbles, but like I said, as time moves on, we've all just learned that you know, you have to look look to the future, be friendly to each other, and live together. And you know, form some common identity here. You know, be friendly, get get on with the times. Look at the history and how it was, accept it, and you know. Move on with your lives. Build a better country for everyone who lives here. That's that's the general thought here, and I'm really really happy that it's going that way, because any any real tensions uh, were are very very exaggerated by this point. Uh, the the craziest moment was when uh, maybe you maybe you've heard of this guy Ayo Benas. Maybe you maybe no. you've heard of him. He's now fighting in Donetsk. <laughs> That guy was the leader of national Bolsheviks here in Latvia, and in 1995, uh, he and his pals took over one of the biggest churches in Old Riga with a hand grenade and threatened to blow up everyone there together with the monuments if we wouldn't give instant citizenship to basically everyone and, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't free some people from prison. That didn't mm -hmm. that that didn't go very well. Obviously, this action caused a lot of ultranationalistic counteractions again. So that was the craziest moment. But that was in 1995. Right now, 2018. I have Russian friends. They all speak Latvian. I speak Russian. We all have learned to you know peacefully exist together. Because right. I, I think it's I think it's all about. A lot of people think that you have to be angry at someone all the time. And that you you uh that you know p people don't like to blame themselves for the situation that they're in, and they don't like to start working and improving situations. They always like to point at someone else and blame those guys for whatever is bad at whatever place. So we're trying mm -hmm. to avoid that here. It's not as bad. It's not as bad as it as it might might seem sometimes uh, if you if you look at at the media from 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 either ultra nationalists or from 
I don't know, uh, like Rubaltic Ru or other weird sites, which I wouldn't recommend, really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of always the case, right? Like the extremes get more attention than the actual experience of the yeah, yeah, middle but, population. But that was the silliest part, because, you know, uh, they're both in our parliament, like both the both kind of these sort of pro-Putin party because they had this deal with United Russia and they get money from them and these other guys, these ultranationalists. But uh, the funniest thing was that like three or four years ago, our investigative journalists found out that they just went to, went to Minsk and to, uh, to play hockey together with Lukashenko and signed some deals there, even though they publicly hate each other very much. Just radicals playing off other radicals, creating a fuss to get more votes in the elections. That's about it. Yeah. I'm, um, okay, I'm, just, I'm sorry for this. It got serious really quickly, but that, okay, don't be sorry. Happens. Um, I just wanted to go back just a little bit to something that you mentioned. You're like that thing with Russian schools, and I didn't know what you were talking about. Oh yeah, I, thought, you... I thought that was in the news because like... uh, in Latvia for many many well... years we had uh, we had two uh, kind of two two systems of education because after after the Soviet Union collapsed. We had state-funded schools in Russian and state-funded schools in Latvian. And we are, over mm-hmm. time, actively moving so that our state-funded schools would only be in Latvian. You know, because okay. that's our official language here. And, uh, yeah, it caused a lot of protests in 2006. But it, it right now it's like this. Uh, you get to study up until sixth grade in your own kind of language, whichever you choose then you then it's kind of mixed and then it's all in latvian if you study in this russian thing but now they're turning now they're shifting it all in a way to latvian and it caused massive riots in the fir- in 2006 when they shifted this around so now in the second wave of reforms which are they, which which they're doing now there were protesters but all those protesters were basically uh old old people who haven't learned uh, learned latvian yet or something mm-hmm. because because i don't know again it's it's kind of this thing that you can have a private school that's uh, that teaches another other languages it's just that our, our government decided that we need to ensure that everyone speaks latvian after they finish high school so that we could get rid of this whole alien situation you know all this non-citizenship situation because you know it's latvia we should everyone who is a citizen should speak latvian here that's the national so, okay, policy. Okay, so, so that's so yeah, that's now the policy is that everything in school is taught in Latvian in all public schools. Yes, it's only for public schools. We have we have had private school. You can open up a private school and teach it in whatever language you want. We don't. We're not okay. touching those, which is but, one of the things that people often often state. But but yeah, we're not eliminating any private schools or whatever. And then you also can choose to take a foreign language, like, do people, like, English or something? Yeah, yeah we, right? have, we have mandated foreign languages in schools. I studied Russian okay. and English at school when I was a kid. Okay. <laughs> cool. But so, you, you, so you spoke Latvian growing up with your family? Yeah. Okay. At home? At home I spoke like, Latvian. Well, and sometimes Russian, too. Because my, my grandma was Russian. One of them was Russian. Mm-hmm. She was Russian speaking to be exact. She was a, a an Orthodox Orthodox lady. Very rough and hard. She had she had lived through the war and uh yeah, she had to basically her mom died during the war and so she so she had to start working already at the age of thirteen to kind of make sure her the rest of her family could could uh, survive and stuff. So that was Where a was bit she of a from? She was in lot in Latvia. Latvia during World War II? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know, we we've always had a Russian minority here, but before the Soviet era, the Russian minority were all the old believers. That's why I made an episode about them, because we have the mm. like one of the biggest congregations in the planet Earth of old believers. One of the richest too. Because because uh, because they were at that point when when all this kind of uh, Orthodox reform happened. Uh, as this region was more autonomous than the rest of the Russian Empire, so they moved here. So we have a, quite a lot of old believers here in Latvia. Could, could you do a really brief... I mean, I, I don't think a lot of people know what old believers are and what that split is. Would you do just a really brief like explanation of what that is? Oh, I, I made an episode about that at one point, but let's see what I remember. Yeah, but I mean I don't, here. <laughs> I, don't, I don't exactly remember under which czar it was. But it, the idea was that a lot of parishes were following uh, 
kind of the the religious texts of Moscow Patriarchate, but others were following the Constantinople Patriarchate rules and mm. rights, so they kind of unified the rights and made some reforms about how you should do the sign of the cross and what language to, to be used in church services and basically formal rules. But there were the old believers are those who who refused these reforms and just wanted to do things the old way. So they kind of moved away because at, the, at that point it was, you know, uh, it, it was early imperialist Russia. It's like it, you didn't get a lot of tolerance back in those days. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Thank you. Um, the the next question I want to ask is like maybe a little more technical. It's the one about. Latvian taking on like specific phrases or words from Russian is that something that happened over like the last hundred years yeah you know we've been in Russian empire for so long we we have we have a lot of Russian words we have a lot of German words as well but obviously see this is kind of weird because I speak both Russian and Latvian and English but um we use Russian words are mostly used kind of kind of slang like but uh, mm. see, so many people here speak Russian that when you want to say something, then you just sometimes can use can use Russian as well. Well, that's that's a really weird question, and I don't really know how to answer that those, those can, lingu linguistic things. I'm sorry. That's okay. Do you have an example of like Russian slang that you use often? Oh man, uh, uh, I do because we basically. Um, One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And I'm a, I'm a gamer. We use we use fantasy terms uh, in like a lot of a lot of games are mm. here here are in Russian. So we use we use those things and you know a lot of uh, verbs, for example, are are used there. And then uh, and then obviously everyone who's swearing, we're using Russian Russian swear words mostly because like Latvian, really? Latvian swear words sound kind of silly. <laughs> <laughs> in, in Wait, comparison, can you, can you say a Latvian swear word if you don't mind? Uh, or if you don't want to, it's okay. Latvian swear words are like multis or 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 dritvaikotsin uh, or something like that. It's nothing like you know the 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 beautiful thick thing when you. S I, I I don't want to swear in Russian on the show. Oh, it's kind of weird. But yeah, you it's know okay. we things, we swear on here. Get, you can swear if you want. Like you know everyone. Our audience is well, adults. <laughs> See when when you when you really hit. When you get up from your chair and you hit your little finger on your toes, <laughs> and then you, then you just say "blah," because that's the <laughs> yeah. thing that you scream aloud. That's short and concise. So we, yeah. we mostly swear in Russian for some reason. I love that. Oh my god, that's but really that's funny. that's a Soviet thing, and also all this, like for example, the term "tufta," or 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 like uh, we also say "shuba" for the salad. Everybody knows mm. what that is. Kind of small everyday things. So everyone eats that salad, yeah, that particular one. We totally eat that salad. We eat olivier. We eat, like all all sorts of foods. Our our Russian foods are very common. For example, like I had pelmeni for for dinner today. So <laughs> yeah, nice. Um, but, okay, so I wanna. I just don't know what Latvian sounds like. So, would you mind like reintroducing yourself, but in Latvian, just so the listeners can hear what it sounds oh, like? Oh wow! Manis sauts Kristaps Andreisons. Es vadu podcast Eastern Border, kurā es stāstu cilvēkiem par padomju savienības vēsturi un to, kā tur bija dzīvot, izmantojot gan cilvēku stāstus, gan vēsturu savotus. <laughs> I like how you did it in like an announcer voice. Prepetendujam, <laughs> what is that? 
Or did I not say it right? Is that something with teaching, or am I just... Did you say I teach at no, any point? No, 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 I didn't say I teach at any point. Mm. Wait, Lily, are False. you able to understand that at all? Or no, 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 no. I mean, I just thought I heard a word that was like teach, but I didn't. But that was that was similar. That was pasquetro. That was explain. Oh. Wait, say the word oh. again? Pasquetro. Okay. See, the thing is, the thing is, imagine La- Latvian and Russian grammars are very similar because we also have the very two 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 genders for nouns. All the declinations are practically the same and everything, but our words are like us and Lithuanians. We have this Baltic branch, so our words are different, and we do not use Cyrillic. But the grammar and the lang- the structure of the language are very similar to Russian. Mm. So that's the thing, because. Uh, yeah, we all, we use commas the same way. We put the words and sentences about in, in about the same order. A lot of similarities. So if you're like if you're in Riga, for example, um, would more people at this point speak English or Russian? Like in if you are being you a tourist... Latvian? Or... Oh, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> uh, like in a store or something. Definitely, like... definitely uh, Russian. Definitely Russian. Okay. But again, it's kind of it's kind of changing because, for example, a lot of younger people who like who were born in late, like people who were born in like late nineties who are just hitting eighteen and are Latvian. A lot of them just completely don't speak Russian anymore. That's right, another right. thing. But I don't, and I feel that's a shame because, um, frankly speaking, I. I don't. I don't know. I one of my favorite books, for example, are are Twelve Chairs, or or uh, or like Golden Calf, or or also like Bulgakov's Master and Margarita, and I read all of them in Russian, and I simply cannot mm-hmm. imagine how could you possibly read in that in, like, in in, in any other language? Because uh, again, it's all in, in Russian and as in Latvian, there are a lot of these weird word plays and dual meanings of things. And then, then you know, then, then there are people who again go out of their way and try to reproduce that in, in English. So, you know, you can't have Vaina Imir in, in English. It's war and peace, of course, but, you know, it can also be shifted around a bit. It's weird. <laughs> you know, you know the theory that's actually the war in the world, even though it's world and war, it's, it's war and peace, obviously, because that was the intention, because back then the spelling was different, but still, weird things happening. Oh, I see. Smith, it, it's a, that's just... You don't understand this, but the word for because you're word, an idiot. <laughs> no, no, the word in Russian um, for peace can also mean world. Mir. Okay. Anyway. Um, <sighs> okay, so you can go ahead. Yeah, I don't have any language ones. Yeah. So okay. So a while ago, you kind of referenced um, Russian companies and and Russians like more recently moving to Latvia um, and specifically the example that I have on this document is Medusa um, and I'm wondering if is that a trend that you're seeing with other companies coming to Riga and like if so what do you think the reason is for that besides like the pension stuff because we speak in because because a lot of us here speak Russian that's one and uh, two is that um, then it's kind of weird we're just close we're culturally quite similar, so I guess that's why that's why they move here. But not all of them do, and it gets really, really complex often because I don't know. We had we we, we have this rule that if you invest certain amount of real in, in real estate here, then um, then you can get a permanent residency, which allows you to travel through Schengen zone without a visa. Wow. So a lot of rich people from Russia also just come here because uh, they are they kind of basically buy their way into Schengen zone. And we have and, and this will sound very weird, but due to our recent investigations, a lot of a lot of so-called corrupt businessmen in Russia, yeah, they like to use Latvian banks as intermediaries to basically get their monies outside to the offshores our bank business kind of really profits on it in a large way that's that's one thing also you know this we have cities like Yurmala which used to be a popular resort in in the Soviet era because that's that's one of the weird things when I do when I do uh 
kind of these shows about the Soviet era, then turns out that we in the Baltics had it pretty good in comparison. And that kind of... <laughs> that is sometimes sometimes really interesting to think about because we didn't think we had it that well. But apparently we did. So a lot of people, uh. for example, remember this Yurmala as... as uh, as something kind of really great, some place where they can uh, they can relax, so they're just used to this. Mm. Is there is there anything like to be said about Latvia serving as like a country of asylum or anything like that, or not really? We do have or... some. We do have some people from Russian opposition living here, uh, but but not as many as you would think, because again, uh, Latvia is not. All that kind of, um, I don't know, maybe Latvia is not Germany or France, for example. We don't have, like, if you don't have a job, we don't have as generous welfare or something. So, for example, mm -hmm. Mr. Maltsev moved to France after he, he kind of managed to, to slightly fail his revolution. Hmm. <laughs> um, I, didn't, I didn't realize he went to France. I missed that. Okay. Um, the... But is like the tax or um, interest rate or something like our taxes lower or something or what? What's the deal with why are people? Because I I think I think it's really just because for the cultural reasons. Because you can you know it's close to Russia. You can speak Russian here and get around with it. You you don't really need if you if if you're if you're not intending to become a citizen, then you can easily just get around with just Russian. It's not a problem at all. So. Yeah, and the Schengen thing is really cool because, like, in case anyone doesn't know, if you're a Russian citizen, you can't just go to Europe. You have to have a visa. You can't really go anywhere, um, except for yeah. But if you buy this, if if you if you invest enough in real estate or companies or whatever, you can get a permanent residency, and then you can go right. to Schengen zone countries easily. That's very cool. Yeah, I mean that that makes sense. That that attracts people um, who have money. Uh. Speaking, I guess this is kind of bringing us to nature, speaking of like the resort town, but maybe um, more broadly, could you tell us about um, like what's the geography of Latvia um, and like what kind of places do people go when they're going to see, to be in nature? Well, uh, we have, <laughs> we have forests and then we have some sea and then we have swamps too, but it's 50% <laughs> forest. And, and right. you know we have we have the river Daugava, which is, which is uh, I th I think it's Zapadnoye Dvina in Russian. It starts in Belarusia, and it's like 200 meters away from that river that flows into the Black Sea. There, there they both meet in the same Altai Mountains. So uh, a lot of people like to do very long boating trips as well. Mm. But but the nature well. Uh, how to explain this? It's like Saint Petersburg, but a bit warmer. The whole country? I don't know. I guess so. Oh. Our country is very, very small. Our country is in the size of West Virginia. Okay. Okay, that's good. No. <laughs> but still, but like, so, but Petersburg is flat and a former swamp. But are there mountains or? No, no. Maybe? Like I said, we we have just some hills. It's very hilly and stuff, but uh, and swampy near the sea. But yeah, but like our capital Riga is located uh, next to the sea as well, so it, it really is like like Saint Petersburg, just a bit more warm because it doesn't freeze, mm. because everything doesn't freeze up in winter. But yeah, mostly mostly there's forests and and then there are lakes near the Russian border where I used to live in when I worked in there in Lodz. But, mm. oh, okay. but, but the weird, but the but, weirdest part is like the weirdest part is all this kind of regional culture. Because even, even in our whole nation of about two million, we have our own regional, regional dialect thing, which is uh, these Latgali, these Litigalians and whatever. They they have their own dialect of of our language, and they, they live in this this region. They are the hardcore Catholic folks, a lot of Orthodox people there as well. And and it's and what's the like terrain there like? Is it more rural? It's more rural, yeah. It's it's very it's lakes and basically farmlands. Basically, that, that's that's about it. Okay, um, so you described earlier the wild boars in the city, but I kind of like 
in America, the West Coast kind of has this stereotype about people like always going hiking and like being really outdoor oriented and like kind of building identities around that. And I'm kind of curious how Latvians interact with nature. Like, are you guys hiking a lot? Like, is a lot of time spent outdoors? What is the relationship there? Uh, people like boating a lot. That's my hmm. favorite hobby, too. But, uh, I don't know, a lot of people do hike, but hey, I'm, I'm stuck in Riga here now, so don't I don't have that much time to walk outside and do outdoorsy stuff. But yeah, a lot mm. of people do hike, but but most, most people just, uh, I don't know, uh, go outside in, when it's 24th of June, when there's our, like, National Yanyi Day. That's our national kind of festi- festivity. It's like I like to explain in my show. It's a, it's a fest. It's a midsummer festival from the pag- pagan days, which is dedicated to drinking beer and eating cheese. And, and then later, and <laughs> the then good later, holiday. Yeah, that's uh, that's oh, also sex. A lot of lot of sex. It's a fertility <laughs> festival too. And it's a really it's a pagan festival, which has just survived all through the Soviet era. Because, you know, we have these national folk songs from from since when, from the 12th century. That was one of the weirdest things that Soviet era did, you know, in, in Khrushchev's time, when, you know, all the repressions kind of died down a bit. At that point, they previously in Stalinist era, this national celebration, which had survived all throughout history, it was completely prohibited. Khrushchev decided that, you can, you know, it's kind of bad to do all sorts of very prohibitive stuff, so he started allowing these mm-hmm. things. Except uh, then it turned. Except then the Soviet. There were Soviet people who had to invent new folk songs. Except this time it's about proletariat, like brave people from Kolkhoz and stuff like that, which sound really <laughs> silly when you try to turn classical folk songs into something about about people living in Kolkhoz, which is kind of silly. <laughs> and they they turned things around a bit, but that was that was fun. But um, but yeah, we we do that, and then we go outside. Also, one thing that Soviets introduced to this whole celebration is shashliks. Turns out, I was surprised about it, about this in the 30s. In the 30s, people in Latvia didn't didn't eat it as much, but now it's kind of a staple of our diets, especially in celebration. Shashlik, yeah. What what it's is like, that? It's it's uh like what do we call it? Skewers of meat, you know, and you like shishkab shishkabab. Shishkabab, yeah. Wait, which which yeah. one of which one of you is from Petersburg, and which one of you is from? I'm from Peter. Well, I'm not from, but I live in St. Petersburg. Okay. I'm Olivia. I'm Smith. Um, I'm in <laughs> Nice to meet you. <laughs> um, yeah, shashlik is like uh, it's like what we also is the is Soviet barbecue. Kebab? What, what don't you get? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I'm just trying to explain it for Americans. Um, it's like Smith. Remember what we ate in Turkey? Just like skewers of meat. Yeah, I know what a kebab is. <laughs> Oh, it's called a kebab. Okay, yeah, because I was trying, I was confused if kebab was the right, yeah. Sh- you said shish kebab. Is that just kebab? Oh, they can find my podcast on theeasternborder.lv or you know iTunes or whatever you whatever you get good podcasts from, such as this <laughs> one, which is an excellent podcast. Thank you. Uh, then, then also I'm on I'm on Twitter. I'm on at eastern under, underscore border. Uh, if you if you follow she's in Russia on Twitter, then you know if you you, you can you can find me through them. I, I know you can because I've checked. <laughs> yeah, we do follow you, and we'll obviously um, include all your information in the episode description and everything. Thank you, thank you. And if you want any, if you have any other questions, then please please let me know. Um, okay. I'll be glad to help you out with uh, with anything. And yeah, I highly recommend your show to every one of my listeners as well. Oh, so, you thank know, you, thank you. Really nice. When, wait, I have just a logistical question. When do you think, um, did you say when you think that the Potapenko, I don't know how to say his name. Potapenko interview? Potapenko, yeah. Uh, we're working on Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm <laughs> it's just really, really difficult. We're working on it. Was it good? Was it fun? Was it interesting? It was fun, but the problem is that he actually spoke... Uh, uh, if you if you listen to the Russian uh, Russian opposition YouTube, such as you know all these Kamikaze, and if you listen to some Dmitry Potapenko shows, it's not like he said many new things which you hadn't heard him say right. before. Mm. Okay, that's the that's the issue here. He he did uh, he did say some some interesting things about how he views Russia, uh, like uh, and he compared it to a country where time just 
goes on in a slower pace. But then again, he said that Russian businessmen who actually manage to do business in other countries, they're way more rougher and, and can adapt to various crazy situations early, easier than, than, you know, the locals. Because he's, he's very proud how he's kind of conquered his niche in Czechia and in Bulgaria. Mm. Wait, so wh- what was your original motive for um, him particularly? Speaking to him, uh, because because I I uh, did some some interviews and I did an overlook on on Russian opposition and Russian kind of more liberal media, starting with Medusa, whom I visited, and then I you know I went and and looked at what, for example, Alexander Sotnik is doing and some other kind of Russian sort of opposition journalists, and and then a lot of them mentioned Mr. Potapenko, say huh. because one of my questions that I asked was well. But Topenko always criticizes everything, you know, he criticizes the fact that he has to pay, like, that he has, like, checks all the time in his businesses and whatever and everything, but, um, but yeah, why, 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 why is he allowed to say these things so openly when, like, uh, for example, if you, if you know this comic, comic a dead guy, who's, like, one of the biggest YouTubers there, you know, he, he also, he also has moved away from Russia and Medusa, they're, they're now in Riga, so why did Medusa have to move if Potapenko can criticize these things, and then it was, like, it was turned into this economical, econom- yeah. economical opposition thing, but Potapenko actually turns out, he, he has very libertarian views. Yeah. Because uh, I noticed that since he quoted Ayn Rand once and stuff, uh, but it was okay. it was very very kind of an interesting discussion here. Hmm. Because like yeah, I, I didn't. I wouldn't it's, necessarily it's, consider, yeah. or I did not know that he was considered like in the opposition. I mean, obviously he said some things, but I didn't realize that 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 was he was like a figure that people talked well, about. Well, Pavel Grudin. Well, Pavel Grudinin is is his pal, you know. They're friends, personal friends with him, and, Just like and he's yeah. supporting him in a way with his with his presidential candidacy. Then again, Pavel Grudinin is a very interesting person because I still I am sorry, maybe I don't understand something, but if you have uh, if you have Sovkhoz imeni Lenina Zal, which is like a Sovkhoz in the name of Lenin, and that's your that's the name of your limited liability company. <laughs> that is a bit funny. Like he and he's a candidate from the he runs kind of this huge lim he, he runs this huge private private company which grows uh strawberries, which is named Sovkhos in the name of Lenin, that's the whole name of the company. Oh, and he's wow. a candidate from the Communist Party of Russia. Uh, <laughs> that's amazing. That, that's that's the thing, and, and it and if you think about it, it makes perfect sense. But yeah, you you try to explain this to someone who doesn't know things. Uh, that, that's one of the things that I also do because we here in Latvia, for example, we have a party which is called the Union of of, of farmers of farmers and greens, like Greens and Farmers Union. Mm-hmm. If, but if you look at every other European Parliament, then the farmers, the the farmer, the farming interests are always in the opposition with kind of the Greens, the Green interests. Mm-hmm. They, they uh, never work together, except here in Latvia, because they are all actually tied up to influential people from the city of Vanspils, uh, through which most of the traffic uh, from from kind of Russia and Belarus and all, all sorts of all those all those places come comes through. It's complex and it's weird, but hey, it's like you know, like like it is hard to explain this to to non comrades. You see, <laughs> you have to know what's what. Yeah. <laughs> but but that's that's why I kind of wanted to speak with him also because he's a huge Russian businessman. And it was very kind of nice and nice. Uh, it was nice to speak with someone who's, you know, achieved something in business. So he he obviously knows a thing or two about how it's like to run a business in Russia. Yeah. 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 He. Yeah. I'm. I'm curious to hear, to hear, his answers. Cause yeah. Cause what I what I saw of him when I was like making these questions, um, he, sure he's like a successful businessman. But what you said about him not saying anything new was kind of what struck me. Cause he just kind of says these, kind of like, mm, typical. I don't know. Standard kind of. Uh, like his position isn't particularly unique, but it's just sort of the fact that he's saying it in the context that he's saying it, like maybe like that economic forum where he first said his stuff um, that like make it, that make it uh, eyebrow raising or something. 
but the actual content isn't particularly radical, I guess. Yeah, but- it's like it, he just criticized the the economy and stuff, and sometimes he he, for example, criticized the upgrades at Metro in Moscow because he thought that was a waste of money, for one. Well, yeah, I'm looking forward to listening to it. Anyway, um, <laughs> thank you again. Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The Eastern Border salutes you. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.